Dear Brambling, it's Uncle Luke here. to the second part of the identity conversation I'm having with Minoji Gamaralalage. Now just a quick recap about Minoji and I's relationship. We met back in middle school and high school where we shared a few classes together, but we mostly were in the same vocal jazz choir where we shared a passion for music and singing. Minoji is a health sciences, wellness, and education advocate She studied at Simon Fraser University, getting a Bachelor of Science studying molecular biology, biochemistry, and she got a minor in psychology. She also studied at the British Columbia Institute of Technology. She is also an occupational therapist assistant, as well as a post-secondary education inclusion facilitator at Simon Fraser University. Now, this part of the conversation is probably the meat and potatoes of our conversation. In the last episode, we were mainly talking about how belonging is a function of identity and how it is a very important and instinctual thing that every human needs. We also talk about how belonging and love are constantly dancing with each other, and when you have the absence of one, all you will have left is pain and suffering. Now in this conversation, we really go into names and labels and language. This is probably the most important part of the conversation. I really do think that language is the container to really help us hold on to what identity is. Also in this part of the conversation, I reveal a part about my identity that is going to require a lot of bravery for me to uh, say out loud. And uh, I'm currently shaking a little bit as I am recording this right now. And there's a part of me that is very grateful to have a good friend like Minoji to help me through this whole thing. So thank you so much, Minoji, again. And without any further ado, I would like us to just dive right into that conversation. school nowadays i call you minoji which is like your your birth name but back in high school we called you therica mm-hmm. if you're down i'm just kind of curious about the reasons behind why you went by therica as opposed to minoji in high school and mm-hmm. what's happened now what talk to me about that transformation into really stepping into your your birth name I mean, intrinsically, everybody knows, and even at a young age, you know, your birth name, it's so profound, right? It's such a anchor point on what identity is and identity that's unique to you. It's your name. No one else has it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So for me, I've been given a very traditional, also a unique Sri Lankan name, I suppose. And having been raised in a predominantly heteronormative white Mm -hmm. culture, the awareness or the um, maybe even tolerance when it came to just nuances and pronunciation of names, maybe a show of respect or a lack of rather for different cultures. You know, at the time that I was kind of growing up, I did feel like I was being discriminated by some teachers. I just, I think there was this innate sense. And I, I even talked to other individuals who are from the same ethnic background 
and also those who are from different ethnic backgrounds, but similar, like they also felt this need to sort of adapt themselves and even adapt their names, if you will, to a way that that was more tolerable or, or easier to pronounce. I think having picked up a more sort of American way of speaking English, I started to understand the, the phonics uh, were different, the pronunciation of letters versus the characters in Sinhalese are very different. And so like just having, you know, been raised in predominantly an English speaking environment, especially outside of home, I decided like, you know, my name, it's actually pronounced Tarka, but it's difficult or I perceived that it would be difficult for most people to say. So I don't know, really know how I, I just, I didn't really make this conscious decision. It just subconsciously came to me that people could just say Therica instead. It, it's easier to say, it just sounds more anglicized, you know, that's kind of where I was coming from. And this was at a young age. This was at like six, seven, eight. And it's interesting that I'm not the only one who's done that too, but others, you know, within my ethnic background and outside of my ethnic background, I guess those with unique non-English names had similar situations where they had to modify their name, maybe come up with a nickname instead, maybe change their name entirely or have an English name. You know, I think for the longest time, it was an obstacle um, having a name that couldn't be pronounced authentically by the majority, or at least in the environment that I was being raised in. It was difficult. If someone can't say your name and or greet you and sort of acknowledge you, more or less respect you, it, it does make it really difficult as a starting point to try and uh, connect with people, right? And and your name is so personal, <laughs> like it's so personal. Thankfully, I didn't have like any like anxiety about this or anything. It was just uh, this autopilot decision to kind of like think quickly on my feet. Um, I didn't like the sound of it. I didn't like that people had to call me that. But for simplicity, I just thought I don't want to keep repeating my name and reminding people how to pronounce it authentically. Like it just, you know, I didn't want things to be overly complicated. And still, there were times where people would still mispronounce it. Yes, like there because not the authentic pronunciation of it. But even then, people still struggled to try and like remember that. And yeah, it was just complicated. And then, you know, there was a time I remember uh, Mr. Sinclair was our tech ed. And I don't know if it was called computer science at the time. I don't think so. But computers teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I remember one time he, he asked me just casually and he was taking attendance, you know, afterwards, he was kind of saying like, oh, um, so wait, your name is hyphenated. It's like a full name. It's like Manoji. Uh, I said, yeah. And he's like, well, I should go by that. It's so cool. Like, it's so different. I thought, okay. Like, I thought that was, you know, odd way a compliment. But at that time, it was just like, I don't know. That doesn't feel like me. And also my family, they call me Tarika, right? That's the name that everyone's been calling me since I was younger. Nobody's ever said Manoji Tarika. Like, my parents would never say that. Even if they were to reprimand me, they would never say my full like first name, right? Like, I just thought that was a bit weird. But at the same time, a real original compliment. And um, then over the years, and especially after high school, and realizing, you know, also at a time where I wanted to do co-op, it just made sense in terms of simplifying and just kind of sticking to, in terms of being uh, simplistic, to stick to my first part of my hyphenated name. And, and I think like Manoji in general is easier for people to pronounce. And it felt professional and it felt like, yeah, this kind of does feel more like me, you know? 
It's very unique. Even a lot of people of Indian background, they would, they would ask like, oh, like, how did your parents come up with that name? Or I thought it could have been a Hindi name or an, like a South Indian name, but apparently that is not necessarily the case Ooh, because yeah. Manoj is common in India for a guy. Yeah especially in South India. So I thought Manoji is just, you know, the, the female version of it. And in Sinhalese, we kind of do that with our names where like you have, you, you have like a common root, I guess, for the name. And then the endings are different. Right. You know, that kind of like differentiates between a name for a guy versus a name for a, a woman. You could take one name, like, um, I don't know, like, I guess Dylan, for example, it could be pronounced like that. And then you can add an I, and it could be a female's name, Villainy. Okay. So, yeah, something like that. So we do that a lot, actually. I mean, we kind of do that. Yeah, I mean, I would say still now, like a lot of millennials have names like that. So, yeah, so it was interesting that some Indians were like not identifying with my name or thought that was very rare. Mm. And and also Manoji's not common in Sri Lanka too. I was named after Manoji that my dad knew sort of as a family friend. Um, it's not super common as um, a lot of my other, like my cousin's names would be. So that was interesting. I was crying a little bit when you told me the story about Mr. Sinclair and, oh. you know, like the power of a well-worded question to help better understand someone. That's a huge moment. And maybe at the time it sounded like what you were saying, it was like it was a little confusing, a little conflicting but yeah overall you said it was a compliment and you felt it sounded like you felt seen and heard and what a I powerful would... moment like i wow but it also sounded like when you were seven or eight when you decided to go like we're going to anglicize taraka did, did i say that right um taraka. that's okay that's okay no you go to Therica. It was, yeah. And you said it was like almost this like automatic response. It sounds like you wanted to belong. Mm -hmm. So you, yeah. you chose fitting in. Yes. I mean, right? that's what it, that's what made sense to me instinctually. What, you know, what I think most people would do in any circumstance when you're a little different and you stick out, you have to sort of adopt some sort of compromise. And it sounded uh, like what you're saying is that you didn't really feel very good about it. No, and no. I think that's what we're talking about when we say it's kind of violent yeah. when you you fit in, right? Yeah. You're you're not actually being true to yourself, and you're betraying yourself, and so yeah, yeah for thank sure. you for thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that yeah, the story about your name. Yeah, I just wanted to say that there was that fear of the the humiliation of having heard it being pronounced incorrectly, mm. or or not like dealing with the discomfort of having to try and correct people's pronunciation was the other thing that made me feel like, you know, I just need to, whatever, you know, it was, it didn't feel like I was entirely self betraying myself because I felt that there was a logical reason why I'm doing this just for simplicity's sake. I'd rather not have my name being butchered all the time. because That would be more painful <laughs> to go through and deal with and more humiliating. So this is sort of like a self compensation. And at home, obviously, like, you know, it was pronounced the authentic way. Then I decided, yeah, Manoji was the way to go. You know, at home, of course, they call me Tadaka and just like, whatever, you know. But yeah, I mean, in the professional world or outside of my family, I go by Manoji and I feel like it's just 
it's just naturally so unique. Um, it's yeah. so easier to pronounce and it really fits me. You know, I, it really does fit me. It's interesting how Mr. Sinclair somehow, I don't know exactly what he did. He just, you're right. It, it is, it, I didn't realize it then. And it, I didn't think it was, it wasn't necessarily an emotional moment for me when he brought that up, but it was definitely surreal and empowering in its own way. Yeah. And I genuinely felt that he said this also because he actually liked me for me, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's it, though. Like, I think that's it, right? That you were allowed to just show up as you and yeah. that being enough for him, right? Yeah. He made you feel like you belonged. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's so wholesome and lovely and powerful and emotional mm. and thank you so much for thank sharing you. that yeah yeah no i've um growing up for me i've always had issues with fitting in and belonging and i even still to this day i have issues with accepting myself mm. but i will be brave and i will just say like yeah i i am gay and i uh never really liked that about myself growing up my brother i love him so much and we've reconciled this whole thing but gay being a synonym for stupid was a big thing in like the 90s and early 2000s right mm -hmm. you know i'm seven years younger than my brother and you know sometimes i just wanted to belong with him you know be mm -hmm. someone that i could get to hang out with him and be with him and i looked up to him and i think there was a, this struggle with my brother that he really wanted to be cool and to be cool, I think there's a lot of fitting in involved. There's a lot of cutting parts off of yourself to really fit in. I think ultimately it's a very lonely place, right? And mm -hmm. I, I don't want to call out my brother because I know he's probably going to listen to this, but um, I think there's a lot of loneliness in, in that. However, what was said a lot was just like, oh, Luke, why are you like Pokemon? You're so gay. Why, why, why is your voice like that? It's so gay learning to belong to myself i'm stepping into accepting the reality that you know this is what's happened and this is who i am but there's still a lot of hesitant hesitancy to teach to, to talk about it something that i find that comes up a lot for myself is i kind of change how i interact or how i speak to different people mm. based on the group and based off the vibe i get essentially right if I'm hanging out with a lot of other like gay or queer people, then maybe like a nice yas queen might come out of my mouth. But if I'm hanging out with a lot of like hetero um, straight people, mm -hmm. that's not coming out of my mouth at all unless like invited. Some maybe I might even like straighten up a little bit if you know what I mean. I might go in for those bro hugs and try to do the weird bro hand shakes and speak in a way that's kind of like yeah man what's up how's it going bro it's strange it's very strange i didn't really understand this term until recently but it's called code switching so code switching i, I know it happens a lot with the the black community in america where they feel like they have to whiten up their speech and whiten up their culture mm -hmm. in order to fit in but then when they're back with their other black family and community, like they're, they're talking as they were. And there's this like almost instantaneous switch that you have to, to flip mm -hmm. in order to better fit in with the group. And 
you know, it's weirdly violent in its own way because it's it's fitting in. It's it's a bit of a self betrayal because I know that I can't show up as a hundred percent authentic Luke sometimes mm-hmm. when I have to code switch my gayness versus my straightness. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's very awkward. <laughs> it's a very awkward and vulnerable place for me, but um you know, I've really have to live my life kind of like this because that's unfortunately the society we live in is that being gay is a mortal sin to some people and completely unnatural. And the reality is, it's like being raised in this society so frequently did I tell myself I choose to be straight, but I can't. A lot of people say like, oh, you choose to be gay. It's your own choice. And it's like, no. If I could choose, I would be straight so I could fit in, so I could be better accepted. But uh, when I, and like we said, what was it? What was the quote? We have to belong to ourselves as much as we need to belong to others, Mm -hmm. right? I'm choosing not to belong to myself when I deny this part of myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, (sighs) (laughs) it's, um, yeah, I still struggle with it. But, you know, you, you take baby steps. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Firstly, I want to say thank you for being so vulnerable and, you know, willing to open up with me. And uh, I I applaud you for for what you're, you know, for the sort of challenges that you're navigating through. Uh, It's not an easy path for anybody, you know, whatever their situation is. You know, I feel honored that you're comfortable to tell me the side of you and um, how this is a huge part of your identity and then you know sort of getting to know yourself better the growth Mm -hmm. the struggles and uh, this is real stuff you know this is this is authentic it's such a courageous act to be able to talk about something that is so taboo or so private to you at the same time you're like owning it you know there's a sense of empowerment to be able to talk about this so openly and um while i may not be able to totally totally relate i want to say that i you know i value what you have to say and i hear you (laughs) i hear you and i just yeah i mean kudos to being so so vulnerable yeah i i I think it's really inspiring yeah well i mean like if anyone should know it's my little nephew um i want him to know Mm-hmm. all of me essentially and that's just who this is dedicated to so yeah, yeah. hey sure. Des. <laughs> but you know as i i talk about cold switching and you know how we talk to each other mm-hmm. i was hoping to shift gears uh, a little bit and i was hoping to talk about language because i feel like language is a huge part of identity as well and it's a huge mm. part of belonging something that i was always taught was language is the blueprint to creating a culture yeah i just want to ask you like what do you think of that i definitely think so yeah i mean i remember thinking as well that language is sort of a passport to a culture in a way when you go traveling yes you can enjoy the the food the experiences but then you know sometimes that language barrier can get in the way a little bit like you can't Mm -hmm. totally fully immerse yourself and enjoy it a hundred percent you do what you can right you have to adapt but it's also nice in a sense that you know when you're traveling people know that you're a tourist and so they don't 
have all these expectations of you to be like you need to immerse in in a way that's so natural you know with our with our culture for us to be able to be hospitable and to accept you or treat you or to contribute to your vacation experience so that's interesting right that we we have those exceptions for people under certain circumstances essentially uh, if you are connecting with people on a deeper level and immersing yourself and allowing yourself to have fulfilling experiences culturally speaking language is a huge thing for sure i noticed that for me that because i'm not very fluent in singhalese uh, obviously as my cousins are having been born and raised in Sri Lanka that and also with an accent and whatnot that I am still sort of seen as an outsider even among them subconsciously but it's not in a way that's negative well maybe let me just maybe clarify that they obviously know that I was born and raised here they know that I'm doing my best <laughs> to learn the language a bit more but you know more or less they know I'm being authentic in my connection with them so even if I have difficulty saying certain words or I forget certain words or I switch to English, so there's the, there's some code switching too in a different way happening there. You know, they know that I'm trying to, uh, that I do love the culture, that I do accept them, I welcome it, and I do want to adapt in a way that, you know, I don't think adapting is a bad thing, that in a way it is necessary to be able to kind of, not not necessarily to fit in, but for to allow yourself a more fulfilling, true experience, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Oh, if that makes sense. No, I feel that. I was just kind of thinking about this example. It's very hypothetical, but like you broke your leg and you go to the hospital, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor's like, so what's wrong with you? And then suddenly you just don't know how to describe your pain. Mm, yeah. Right? If we don't have the language to help articulate what we're, our experiences are, mm. then we can't really connect with others or ourselves. It's like having access to the right words can open up entire universes. So like even within the ling- English language, yeah. I feel like there's different language, quote unquote, maybe talking a little more gay or talking a little more straight. It's like a type of language. It's like how we say things. I think even like in a professional sense, what is the culture of your workplace it all boils down to what are the words that we are saying to each other to help create that culture and to help uplift that environment Mm -hmm. and each other yeah what do you think of that (laughs) yeah I think you're absolutely right like we don't obviously think of this consciously um but you're right definitely um we are actually immersed in sub many subcultures if you will within a greater larger culture. Our identities are so intertwined in different areas and different aspects, different groups of people, Mm -hmm. whether we realize it or not, whether we like it or not, you know, it just is. It's so multi-level, multi-generational or intergenerational rather. Yeah, it's it's very multi-dimensional and and language is definitely so profound. It transpires boundaries of time, space, place, in, in that same way that identity does. Language, it's powerful for sure. And like, and yeah, you're right. Your workplaces, they have a certain jargon, a certain training, a certain way of business communication that you have to adhere to. Cause that's just, mm-hmm. that's a standard, right? Like obviously 
it's not necessarily because you need to fit in. It's just the, the it's, it's situational and it's just a way to express or market a service that is different than other people's, right? It's just a way to be different in that sense, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, I also think that there's a lot of emotional ties to certain words. At Starbucks, we don't call each other employees or coworkers. We call each other partners. Oh, okay. And like we, we say partners because like, yes, we are, the moment we're hired, we also get a certain percentage in the stocks of the company. So technically we are part owner, but yeah. there is an emotional tie or an emotional significance to calling each other partners. Hmm. Right? Because like when I think of partners, I think of equals. I think of someone who is on your team. I think of that friendliness to it. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's almost got like a softness as opposed to like co-worker or employee. Right? It's it, informal too. Yeah. And it kind of creates this like, when I, when I hear the other terms like co-worker, employee, I, I almost picture like this severing of the the different positions in the in the company right like oh you're just an employee oh, okay yeah the, you know the you're just my you're just my co-worker like i don't have to care about that you know what mm-hmm. i mean whereas as partners it's like we're in this together and like your issues are my issues my issues are your issues your triumphs are my triumphs and my triumphs are your triumphs yeah. and there's like this cohesiveness to it right so like just in that itself there's using the term partner creates this culture of belonging and togetherness yes you're so right yes there is power in words yes, yes. and and words having been used or being used intentionally and with purpose like it's so profound um mm-hmm. and you definitely you demonstrated that example you captured it so nicely yeah. I can totally relate to your example. Like, even though I don't, I don't necessarily call my coworkers partners. Like if I were to, I would feel it in the same way you're describing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting how like innate that is, you know, just how intrinsic that, that emotion or that realization that there is an emotional value to it. That really does add that layer of inclusive culture and one that is more empowering than your sort of traditional bureaucratic system of you know how how things are laid out and how how people have a relationship to themselves to each other and to their roles in the work there's a certain sharedness in responsibility in in the triumphs failures the the success the longevity of a organization Um, Mm -hmm. so that's really interesting and very profound yeah like Learning more about the importance of language has really taught me why it's so important to accurately name things, um, you know, and to yeah. accurately label things, going back to labels. <laughs> um, uh, and here's a, another quote from Atlas of the Heart. I've just, I've been so absorbed into this book, but it says, our and- understanding of our own and others' emotions is shaped by how we perceive, categorize, and describe emotional experiences these interpretations rely heavily on language. What that quote is essentially trying to tell us is like, do you know the difference between like overwhelmed and stressed? Um, not entirely. Okay, so stressed is you got a lot on your plate, but you're still able to handle what is on your plate. Mm -hmm. Overwhelmed is having so much on your plate that you can't handle it. Oh, okay. Right. 
Mm -hmm. And our psychology really takes hold of this. It really takes notice of this, right? So Mm -hmm. if we are stressed, but we're telling ourselves that we're overwhelmed, our psychology is going to start telling us, oh, I need to start programming and reacting in a way that's actually accurate to overwhelm. And the only cure for overwhelm is to do nothing for like 10, 15 minutes, like literally nothing. It's uh, something at Starbucks. If we say we're overwhelmed, I'm like, okay, go sit in the back, sit down, don't do anything. Like I'll cover you. But if you're feeling stressed, then it kind of feels like, okay, well, can I support you still in your role? Oh, you know, right. And, you know, to accurately name things in that kind of degree can help us really understand who we are. I think, you know, like faith, and sexuality and race and biology and background all of these types of things have a different type of subset of language and words that we can use to really start accurately labeling ourselves so like this is why i think it's really important to like really focus on language wow amazing (laughs) (laughs) i'm having goosebumps now Because, you know, in the beginning of this conversation, we were talking about, or I sort of maybe touched on how labeling could potentially be limiting and and it could be a hindrance, right? Mm -hmm. But now you are very carefully, very consciously articulating that it's it's language that we have to be aware of. And that, you know, to some extent, the labeling is necessary but it needs to just serve a functional purpose more than a subjective, superficial, empty words sort of thing. The Dear Brambling Podcast is an association with Sona Music. Do you have a guitar or a piano that's in your home right now that's just gathering dust? Have you always wanted to turn your shower singing skills into actual singing skills? Do you find yourself to be a musical person but just never had the opportunity to properly learn? Well, Sona Music is here to help. Sona Music offers a variety of different services as well as music lessons, live sound recording, as well as instrument repair. Its home base is in Clearwater, British Columbia, but we also provide online lessons to meet people where they're at wherever they are in the world. It is within Sona Music's mission and values to promote, nurture, and expand the art in the already flourishing and artistic community of Clearwater, British Columbia. Its mission is also to drive the next generation of skilled musicians and artists to their full potential. If you'd like to inquire about any services or lessons, please do so by visiting www.sonamusic.ca. Wittgenstein, who once said, the limits of my language means the limits of my world. I I think it's so true. It's so, so true. Something that I was taught when learning to become an EA, an education assistant, um, Mm. helping those with autism, is that we got to use first-person language. So first-person language is essentially, we talk about there's Jake, the kid with autism. Mm. It's more accepted than there's the autistic kid whose name is Jake, 
right? Yes. Because what you're putting is the, the affliction or the, the neurodiversity first, and you're labeling them by that as opposed to Jake, you know? Mm, yep, for sure. A boy who also might like Pokemon and video games and other things, you know? I, I yep. use Pokemon because, you know, I love it, but the, it's the person first, right? And then everything else. But if you choose to only identify someone as the, the thing they are, then it's yeah. kind of dehumanizing, right? It is. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, I remember also when I worked for a private family as a BI as well, I remember like, I think I've used the language as, as a teenager with autism or, or an autistic teenager, I think, at one point, and then she corrected me. And the way she did it was, in, you know, it was so effective and it was done with obviously good intention. I, I didn't sense that she was taking this the wrong way. She understood, okay, you know, I need to just help her realize and not questioning that, no, she doesn't value my son as a person. It's just that language technicality that needs to be corrected. Mm -hmm. And it does make a huge difference when you hear autistic teenager versus a teenager with autism. It's very clear that the thing that is unknown being a label or given so much emphasis has intrinsically evokes more of a sort of negative emotion mm -hmm. in a way like it's more a negative connotation versus a teenager with this yeah like everyone else a teenager but has this this other thing for me if i was known as like the gay guy mm -hmm. i would be crushed yeah like literally like that is so offensive to me because like is that all you care to learn about me yeah is that my personality is is being gay a personality trait maybe to some but not for me mm -hmm. i am luke and like the least important thing about me is that i'm gay that's that's me like if you want to know more about me like i i'm creative i'm a barista i i'm an irish dancer i am a singer i love pokemon maybe to an unhealthy point um <laughs> but like these are the things that i would love to connect with you about these are things about mm -hmm. me and my identity that mm -hmm. are important to me, but at the center of me is Luke, right? Yes. That's That to me is is really important, right? Like, I, mm -hmm. I would hate if people referred to you as like just that Sri Lankan girl, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that's not all happen. of you, right? Yeah, or yeah. the brown girl. Yeah, I, I remember when uh, I was doing my um, practicum, you know, as a radiation therapy student, there was... Uh, a patient and we were sort of wrapping up his session we can see what's happening in the treatment room on the outside with the video cameras and we can hear as well the conversations that could be happening or if a patient needs to it's all for safety reasons that's why the video cameras there and anyways in saying this like i just want to mention that yes i i will also refer to one of the radiation therapists as indian or indo-canadian because you know ethnically she is. I just found that ironic that I think that patient, he was talking about me possibly, and he might've confused the two of us, me as a student and her as the radiation therapist. She was saying, oh, that's the other brown girl. Like you're mistaking me for her. And, you know, I, I obviously, like I was a little bit surprised to hear this from a 40 plus year old woman. You know, in my mind, I would think that she wouldn't have used that kind of language, you know, with a patient. Like, I just thought that was a bit weird, even though, you know, you can build rapport and you do break ice, right? You do get to know them 
kind of on a personal level. I just thought that was a bit weird. Mm -hmm. And then another girl, uh, she's a Caucasian, you know, I don't like going by colors for any race. So language, right? Be yeah, language. language. Just yeah. kind of your relationship with language. But yeah, so she she actually found that funny and she wasn't laughing in an insulting way. I felt that that wasn't where she was coming from, but she kind of found that funny. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought that was a bit weird that she reacted that way too. I didn't say anything. I didn't let it bother me because I thought whatever, like I'm not really going to be working with these people or seeing these people. Like I don't really care. I'm just here to be trained. But I did think that was a bit of a weird situation and a little unprofessional to be referred to as the brown girl versus the student, at least. Like, I felt like, you know, in that context, student would have been the more appropriate term. Brown girl just felt like all they see is just my color. I mean, and I thought that was funny that she said that because, you know, she's also brown. So there's no differentiating between the two of us there. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand why she thought that she could just say that. It was just, it was a bit insulting. I'm not afraid of my color being brown or whatever. That's not the issue. It just did feel like she was reducing me just to one aspect. Instead of like, oh, you mean our student. Why right. would that be funny? You know, <laughs> like if we were to say, if it was reversed, if she was a student and, and somebody said, oh, that white girl, like, I don't think most people would laugh at that. I'm really sorry that that happened. Well, that's okay that's what i mean in terms of like certain things being toxic like you can't unteach people what they want to believe or what they think is not wrong or right like that's very subjective you know there is essentially a wrong and right that we can all relate to and we can all accept and understand like logically speaking mm -hmm. but how you want to interpret it is subjective and so she's not my friend. She's not someone that I really value. She's just someone who's been part of my training. Maybe she thought she could be comfortable around me and that that was too comfortable for my liking. Like I was just thinking, no, we don't really have a relationship more than professional. You're not my friend, you know, right. the brown girl. Oh, that other brown girl you mean, you know, and then the other one mm. laughing. I just... Oh, it is a little weird. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, it is a little weird. Um, it really makes me think of why we do need to be careful about language because sometimes mm -hmm. if we're using words that create separation, yeah, um, I guess like you're you're doing inclusion facilitation, so maybe you're familiar with the term of like segregation or exclusion. If our words create yeah. exclusion or segregation, then that's very problematic as well. I remember in high school and in middle school, like growing up, we would refer to in, uh, indigenous people as a different word that I don't really want to say anymore because they now see it as derogatory, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. all of our teachers taught us to use this word throughout all of my education. And now I'm learning to unlearn that okay. word yeah. and use the word that they prefer because they feel as though it accurately describes their culture, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a plethora of words that exist out there that really can, like, reduce someone to really negative stereotypes and, like, yeah. really awful things. And, like, I was, I had a lot of those words said to me. And, yeah, you know, like, they, uh, they permeate in ways that I don't think even our own psychology really understands. Mm. You know, we sit with it in the moment, we think it's fine, and then... 25 years later you kind of realize actually no that was not okay and this is what I'm doing from it wow um, 
Yeah. True. Language, <laughs> right? So important to our identities too. Oh yes. And mm -hmm. and it also goes with the cultural awareness that is lacking, you know, that is severely lacking. Um, even till now, and in, in a lot of cultures, people got away with saying things with pointing out weight issues or whatever could be an issue, color of skin, you know, for mm -hmm. even like to this day, like some of I, I think, yeah, like last week, I was talking to another Sri Lankan, and uh, she was telling me that, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, she was telling me that a family member said that she was like too dark or that she needed to make sure she was away out of the sun because you know she's sort of at the age where she could get married like i guess all of us culturally right you know she would be less appealing um just because you know she goes she's a bit darker than her sisters in comparison or whatever i was just like shocked and i was just like oh my god i'm so like that sounds painful i'm so sorry to hear that you know and she kind of shrugged it off in a way like oh you know it's, it is what it is with culture you know but obviously I know I knew she was affected like obviously there's no you can't hide when you're in pain when you're insulted or hurt you, as much as you try to you know mm -hmm. it just it just it goes to show that there is a severe lack of uh, awareness and sensitivity culturally it just bleeds into the irresponsible use of language yeah across all cultures I think people need to be more cognizant of their word choice. People need to uh, embrace differences and understand that there's uniqueness in being different and that words should have a functional purpose, you know, that the meaning should be functional, not superficial and not subjective or objectifying anybody in any way, any kind of harm that could be done. And, and words don't need to propagate stereotypes that we're trying to break from. So you're right, it, words are huge. It's so fundamental to our sense of self, our, yeah. our, our self-worth and our identities as much as we don't realize that. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that with these conversations, we're going into such depth and I love it, you know? I mean, these are like, I wish these kind of conversations existed in university too. The kind of discussions that could come out, that could spark out from realizing that so many things that we tend to overcomplicate are so fundamental to do our core, so simple, you know? Instead of trying to hide from the pain and, and bandage it with a bunch of fancy words and terminology that we don't fully understand and label it as prejudice or stereotypes and, and call it a problem and call it the end of the day, maybe let's be brave enough to unravel and to dig into these situations. Like you can't heal fully or you can't fully understand something until you go through it and until you learn to navigate what that is, you know, you can't avoid it. I love that the conversations we always have encourage us to you know embrace uh discomforts and uncertainties in our lives that education has not prepared us for yeah and yeah. And, and culture definitely does the opposite it, it does more harm than good in a sense sometimes yes in, yeah. in a yeah sometimes yeah yeah on the other side of that some cultures actually have the best words to describe the human experience and it almost makes me feel as though English is just not enough sometimes. Mm. Um, just just to think about the spectrum of emotional experiences, I don't even think English can tie down everything. In German, 
they have such a, like a profound way of like using compound words to like really accurately name emotions. One of which that I've been learning about is um, Schadenfreude, and um, I've been seeing it a lot with um, you know the vaccination deal with the COVID, and I've been seeing it a lot with um, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial that happened. But essentially, Schadenfreude is is a word that means um, getting joy from other people's pain. Oh. And it happens a lot. Like, America's Funniest Home Videos, like, we'd watch someone, like, really hurt themselves and everyone yeah. would be laughing. Yeah. Right? Because that's what everyone else is doing. Some people who uh, didn't get vaccinated and then they maybe caught COVID and then, you know, there's, I heard a lot of rhetoric of people just being like, ha ha, you deserve it. Ha 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 ha. Right? And that's not fair. That's not okay. But uh, another another word that um, I've been really loving is um, a Zulu. The Zulu way of saying hello is saubwana, and um, Zulu Zulu is one of the African languages. And um, saubwana is just a typical greeting that everyone in the community would say. But if you were to directly translate it, what it means is, "I see you, therefore I bring you into existence." Wow! Whoa! Right? Power behind that too. Right? And just could you imagine a culture where every time you greet someone, you say, I see you, therefore I bring you into existence. Just right? in that simple, literal definition in itself. In, wow. in that, right? Wow. I could see just like the emotional Beautiful. the emotional maturity of that community. Um yeah. the the support and the family like mm. um qualities that you would have with your neighbor your darkness is valid therefore i will validate your darkness it's wow, so profound and beautiful right and english doesn't cut it sometimes right yeah. so sometimes culture just they get it right oh, yeah that's a good point thank you for mm -hmm. bringing that up um that actually also reminds me of like in french they say uh to maman right we're mm -hmm. missing from me instead of i miss you yes right? it's, just, it's amazing like uh, like when I re like learned that or realized that, I was just like, "Whoa!" Like yeah. that was that was so, um, you know, I guess in a way, mind blowing. You are missing from me, right? And it's more it's accurate, more, more accurate, accurate to the experience, right? Yeah. Right, and we're using language to better identify this experience. Yeah. Right. And, uh, that's ah, so amazing so there's an openness too then that comes with um culture and and language absolutely now I'm, I'm just thinking about um in irish gaelic my mom taught me this but the one of the ways they would say like hello or they greet each other is um see de mil de falcha or something um which directly translates to um hundred thousand welcomes Wow. Right? It's so beautiful. Just so warm, right? I just get yeah. a warm, fuzzy feeling when 100, someone... 100,000 welcomes. Right? See, Demil de Falcha. So welcoming. Yeah. Right? Feel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The feeling, for right? sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, mm -hmm. something that I like to do towards the end of our uh, <laughs> conversations is I, I like to have a little... Um, rapid fire. Rapid fire. <laughs> yeah. So, are you okay with uh, doing a little rapid fire with me? Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I want you to fill in the blank. Okay. 
vulnerability is being yourself be yourself yeah yeah i love it um and okay so next question because it's me i have to ask this but do you have a favorite pokemon um i would say uh, maybe i i might be biased but i think i've seen more of pikachu in most episodes and he's like the more central pokemon right mm -hmm. so i'd say pikachu and i think pikachu has some cool powers but i don't really remember them even though i knew at that time <laughs> but it's okay no like pikachu's so cute and old pikachu hiding behind my water bottle oh yeah <laughs> um yeah okay uh what's your favorite meal oh jeez. um I, I guess Sri Lankan curries. Like, I can't think of a specific dish. Okay. Curries, yeah. Like, a mix of, um, like, vegetable curry dishes. It mm. could be, like, sort of a dry kind of... I don't know how to explain the... The word doesn't translate over in English. So, um, yeah, just a mix of, like, Sri Lankan curries. Bright colors. Um, it could be curry it could be just sort of like a sambal if you will like it's just i don't know how to explain it honestly i'll have to show you pictures like you I, just speak thousands of words this is true okay convey. i'd love to see i'd love to try one time yeah yeah, yeah. sure um what was your the latest tv show you binged and loved oh okay um that would be lawless lawyer Okay. And this is a uh, Korean um, trial, Korean drama, and they call it also a trial thriller. Uh, I don't really know all the details. All the details, sorry, because I didn't watch it from the beginning. Mm -hmm. I saw my sister watching this, and I'm like, "Oh, let me, let me, please join in. Like, I want to know. <laughs> I want to yeah. know." Yeah. Wow. It was. I... It was well done that's really cool um okay uh do you have a favorite movie ah oh, man a favorite movie um ah uh, you know what i, I want to say the secret garden okay secret garden yeah have you ever watched it before or heard of I, it i might have i don't know i've seen so many movies that like do i remember the names of all of them no mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, That's okay. Yeah, mine is Princess Bride or The Princess Bride. Do you know that one? It's like I should know this. I feel like I might have yeah. seen this before. Yeah, you probably might have seen it somewhere. There's like it's a it's a boy who's sick and his grandpa comes read him comes to read him a book called The Princess Bride. And then it kind of goes into like the like the whole scene being the book and they're telling the story. And it's like really silly and funny and inconceivable. Um, I say that because that's one of the words said a lot. Um, but yeah, Princess Bride. I love that movie. Um, yeah. Was it based on like it was based on a story, probably like in the seventies, eighties, or something, or even older, I, right? I think it was the eighties. Yeah, it's an eighties kind of movie. But anyways, um, Princess Bride. <laughs> Um, Garden actually, um, the first rendition or the original is it was made in 1993, and oh. and um, it features Maggie Smith. 
<gasps> yeah. Oh, Professor McGonagall. Yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. I love that. Okay. Okay. I gotta. I gotta watch it now. Um, you. We would have to buy it though, or rent it if you were to watch it. Unfortunately, on this is um, true. Netflix or yeah, on Netflix. But okay. But it's it's nice. I, I mean, I I'm glad I did. I purchased it, and I would go back and watch it in a heartbeat again. Like I don't regret it. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so here's a, a little more deeper question. Um, what's the first thing you do when you get a great sense of fear come over you? Wow. Oh. Um, good question. I think initially I, I think about it a little bit, you know, I naturally okay. just go into that mode of what's happening and trying to process this, this fear. Mm. I don't quite sit with it right away. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Mm. I think it's more from a kind of perspective of like, why is it here? Like, why is why is this happening anyways? You know, or, or just and like, why is this incon? Why is this inconvenient emotion overcoming me right now? <laughs> what is the threat? <laughs> what is the threat? <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Okay, and finally, what's um what's a piece of advice you'd want to share with my nephew Desmond as he gets older? Wow, what a question. That's such an honorable question. I feel so <laughs> responsible. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want to say to Desmond that firstly, you have an incredible uncle and, and um, uh, an, an amazing friend of mine, honestly. Uh, I can't even describe how like how much love essentially I have for for you as a person and and also just for our relationship you know it's just mm -hmm. one of the most um unbounded sort of indescribable amazing connections and and human experiences of like going through and discussing emotional vulnerable difficult topics at times that I don't think I could have really openly and very um, respectfully, perhaps even discussed with anyone else. Like, it just feels like you were definitely someone I could really uh, talk to. Um, and every conversation is so meaningful and it just serves the purpose of making me feel like, like, um, you know, a sort of enlightenment, you know, it sort of wow. opens up another uh, way of thinking, another perspective without forcing it, you know, it's not like it's forced. Mm -hmm. It's not expected. There's no, there's no ultimately changing the other person kind of thing. Like there's no power struggle. It's just refreshing, enlightening, uplifting, um, and, and healing, you know? And so I, I say Desmond for you to really, um, as you get older, um, and as you, uh, have your own experiences and your own um, interpretations of what what life is and what growing up feels like, what making friends is like to you. Um, to really embrace your um, your gut feelings, your your inner person, you know. Um, and uh, you may or may not realize as you get older, you still have. A, there's always going to be a child in you, you know, there's always going to be that inner child in you. And that inner child looking back 
carries a lot of wisdom, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and as I'm getting older, it's, it's not about, it's about um, connecting back with that inner child in me. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be maybe more or less what other people might experience too. I'm not sure. I'm not telling you that this is necessarily what you have to experience, but there's an innerness, an inner feeling, an inner energy or being within you that um, that is your true core self. You know, that is your true energy. That mm-hmm. is who you are essentially, maybe spiritually or whatnot, however you want to describe that or interpret it is up to you. But um, don't, don't be so... Uh, growing up isn't easy. Um, but it is a a beautiful chaos, <laughs> I love and, that. and it's meant to be uh, it's meant to be difficult on purpose because it's really meant to help you um, kind of get on the footing of the path you're meant to walk, you know, mm-hmm. um, of the people that are meant to come into your life, and um, you know, for us, you know. Um, even in speaking to your uncle Luke here, there's a lot of like situations where we realized what might, what was, what is normal seemed traumatic, you know, mm-hmm. growing up. Cause we had no awareness of, Hey, you know, sometimes you're going to lose friends in your life or, you know, sometimes this can happen or whatever. And, and there was so much trauma for, for myself, at least I could say that having not known what to expect was in itself already a huge challenge, a huge obstacle to navigate. And, um, you know, your, your uncle is doing an amazing job of trying to support you in that way through these amazing uh, podcasts, wealth of information, love, um, things that you will not be able to capture or, or hear back in, in a textbook or audio book. And so I really say that, uh, you know, your journey of growing up is individual to you, but, um, uh, and how you want to, you know, experience life is up to you. um, But never lose, never lose touch with that inner person, that inner being of who you are and who you're meant to be. Let that guide you um, Mm -hmm. into embracing experiences and know how how much you want to, you know, absorb, you know, what, what, how, how you want to be open-minded to experiences. Like, don't let anyone tell you what you need to feel and how you should be and um, what is acceptable or not, you know, um, mm-hmm. on, on a personal level, of course, when it comes to identity. So this is something that I would say to all young people and, and, you know, little wow. ones that are growing up when they're old enough to hear this. <laughs> oh, wow, Minoji, that's so kind. <laughs> I'm blushing. Ah, <laughs> thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure having you um, on the podcast and talking with you today. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. This is a great experience. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, I love you very much, Des, and I hope that there was a lot that you can pull from this, and, um, yeah, bye! (laughs) (laughs) Well, there we go. There's the conversation, and I'm sure to the surprise of probably no one, but, uh, 
I came out in this uh, podcast episode as well. I have a lot of fear about this podcast episode and the fact that I came out during it because I am afraid of people treating me differently, people seeing me differently, people dehumanizing me, people attacking me in some form or another. It's very, very frightening. And I know it's not going to be all that bad, too. I know that there's going to be a lot of people in support and a lot of people that are going to be happy for me. And yeah, maybe that's a little less terrifying, but maybe at the exact same time, it's just as terrifying because it's also a form of people treating me differently. The last thing that I want is for people to commodify me and for people to now suddenly like me because I'm gay. No, that's dehumanizing. That's awful. I do not want that. I decided to come out in this episode because I wanted to show my nephew what it means to belong to yourself and to reclaim your own story. There's a part of me that really feels as though that even though this conversation was really deep and important and powerful that Minoji and I have only begun mining for gold. There is so much more gold to be found when digging into the topic of identity. There's so much to learn, so much to discover, so much we're still discovering, and this type of discovery is very important. I really do think that if we are to strive to live in a world where we can all feel like we belong and feel like we can be in connection with each other, that it begins with the words that we choose to say and being willing to be held accountable for the mistakes that we make and start putting in the work to becoming better humans. Brene Brown would say that true empathy is listening to someone's story and believing them. There are so many people in this world who are adamant in trying to deny and disprove other people's identity. And one question comes to mind when I think about that is, do you really truly know who you are? If you're so concerned with how other people are wanting to show up to the world, then I would theorize that you have some insecurities about who you think you are in this world. When you point a finger, there's usually three fingers pointing back. When we all boil it down, we are just brains inside skulls, attached to bones, surrounded by muscles and veins and blood, covered in skin, and we are just brains trying to find a home inside our body. What is wrong with trying to make our home our own? To me, nothing. Just let them live their lives. I hope that there is something of value to you in this conversation, something that you can pull from, and something that will inspire you to take a moment to pause and reflect upon what was said. But more importantly, I do hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and that you do something good for yourself today. The Dear Brambling Podcast is a podcast dedicated to my little nephew, to the next generation of humans growing up in this world, as well as to those who might be looking for a little more guidance in their life. It is hosted by me, Luke Benoit. The editing and sound design are provided by MB Productions, as well as Hideout Productions. The music that you're listening to is called Sunlight Cascading Through the Clouds by Artificial Music. If you'd like to follow me on any social media, I am on Instagram and Twitch at Rex. And for those who are still listening this far into the podcast, I'd like to take a moment to really thank you from the bottom of my heart. 
I'd also like to say that if you are experiencing any difficulties or pain in your life right now, there is still no substitute for a trained coach, counselor, or licensed therapist. If you are committed to putting in the work and really trying to better yourself as a human, I definitely recommend that you go searching and shopping for the right coach, counselor, or therapist for you. 